to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Welcome. Thank you all for being here. We're so excited to get in on this discussion. And I want to give you a little rundown about what we're talking about here tonight and why. You know, we've all been trying for decades to what, do what's called leveling the playing field for both men and women in the workplace, right? And we all have different opinions on this, but I'm going to venture out in there and be bold and say we haven't quite made it there yet. We haven't quite nailed that down. And there's a lot of different reasons, but maybe it's also simple. And maybe it's a simple question of what if there is no level playing field, regardless of who you are. Maybe it's time to find a new normal, or maybe we just need to go about things in a completely radical different way. These are all questions that are good topics. And Ron and I are very serious about what we're going to talk about tonight. We both teach leadership and entrepreneurship at the University of Colorado in Boulder, where Ron is also on the board for the Center for Leadership Executive Committee. We also both co-host a CU Boulder leadership podcast and in our business, which we co-founded called Forging Metal Academy, we help build culture and leadership for businesses, teams, and individuals. So this is a very important topic to us. And these are questions that are coming up on a lot of our discussions, regardless of who we're talking to. Some of those discussions are with our wonderful panelists that we are so lucky and grateful to have joining us tonight. These four incredible leaders that are here for Denver Startup Week are here to shed some light on their thoughts about this concept of leveling or not leveling the playing field. This is our second time hanging out with these four leaders. And we had the honor of interviewing each of them separately and deep diving into what their thoughts were on our Forging Metal podcast. I want to share, some of you might be wondering, where did you guys get that name? And I know Tara maybe gave you a little bit of a clue. How do we get the, the title to this panel? I want to share the origin of that. We interviewed Sandra Stowes, who was a Coast Guard Vice Admiral. She was the first superintendent of the the Coast Guard Academy, and we interviewed her about her book, Breaking Ice and Breaking Glass, Leading in Uncharted Waters. And one of the things she said in her book and also in the interview was the playing field is not level and it never will be level. And she went on to say that those bumps in the road are what give us character and we shouldn't be actually wishing for a level playing field. And I know both Tara and I kind of, it made us raise our eyebrows of, wow, that's a little bit different take than what we hear in mainstream media. And it also made us think, is she on to something? So that's, it's a little bit edgy. I get it. Not everybody, when they hear that, is going to agree. And so that's the inspiration for this title. And that's what we want to dig into with people that know much more about this than we do to get their ideas on how can we do this better. Sandy regretfully could not be the fifth panelist uh, with us tonight, so we definitely wanted to mention her. But let me introduce who we do have on the panel this evening. All four of these women have served as officers in the United States military branches of the Marine Corps, the Air Force, and the U.S. Army. Each one of them 
were also combat aviators in a mostly male environment, all of them navigating a career as a pilot in the military when this was not mainstream and in some cases not even allowed, and yet they did it. So let me introduce our first panelist, Shannon Huffman Polson. She's an Army veteran who flew the Apache attack helicopter and now three-time author. Her most recent book, which Ron and I have read cover to cover, is called The Grit Factor. Such a good book. Courage, Resilience, and Leadership in the Most Male-Dominated Organization in the World. Next up, we have Kim Casey Campbell, also a combat pilot. She uh, flew over Baghdad in the Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom. She also served as a commander and as director for the Center for Character and Leadership for the United States Air Force Academy, just down the road from us in Colorado Springs. Also excited to have Janelle McCauley with us, a C-130 and KC-10 pilot in the U.S. Air Force, now serving as a leadership and human performance consultant for the government and business corporations. And thank you for that, Janelle. We need a lot of that in today's, in today's workplace. And then lastly, but certainly not least, Amy McGrath, U.S. Marine Corps fighter pilot who flew the F-18. She flew 89 combat missions against Al-Qaeda and Taliban during her 20 years in service. And then after she retired, she decided that flying in combat was child's play and she wanted to go into politics. And so she has dabbled in politics since she left the military. Ron is a pilot himself, and I am a prior Air Force veteran, so you can see that we are just so honored to have these four wonderful people with us. They have all navigated successful careers in the most male profession areas that exist, at least in America, that of combat military members. In fact, they all started their careers when there was a female combat exclusion, as I mentioned. They were not even allowed to be combat military members when those careers began, and yet they did it anyway. But most importantly, I'd like to point out, each one of these four women have been and are continuing to be trailblazers during a transitionary period for a generation of women that are coming behind them. And we're so excited to just dig right in and ask them, how can we do better? Wow, it gives me goosebumps just listening to that. What, what a great panel, like Tara said. I got to be honest, we, we are doing three webinars here at Denver Startup Week, Tara and I, and this is the one that I've been most excited about for all the, the reasons that Tara just mentioned. So let's get into this and let's pick the brains of, of these, these panelists that we have. So in 1978, a term called the glass ceiling was coined by Marianne Schreiber and Catherine Lawrence. It is a reference to barriers in the careers of high-achieving women. All of our panelists have successfully navigated high-achieving careers. So let's start with this discussion with this idea of, is this still a thing? Do we still have a glass ceiling? And if we do, how do we get past that? Janelle, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Thank you so much. I'm um, very excited to be on this panel with such an esteemed group. So thank you for including me and hello to all my fellow panelists. You know, I, I think I'm going to answer like yes and no. And I answer that because I like to tell a story about my dad. I grew up in a family of public servants, mostly Marines, but my dad was actually a police officer. 
but my, both my grandfathers served in the Marine Corps, as well as my uncle actually flew Marine One for President Reagan. So I've kind of been in a family of public servants. I knew that that was a calling of mine, but I distinctly remember even at the young age of seven, my dad would tell any stranger that would that he would encounter that his daughter was going to grow up to be a submarine warfare commander or a combat pilot. And you know, at that young age, and this was the 1980s, I had no idea that society was putting barriers on my ability to even do that, right? And I, and a lot of the work that I do now in human performance and mindset, it, a lot of it is about messaging. And so I think my dad had a very powerful way of sending messages to me um, about, you know, if I can dream it, I can become it, right? Like, and, it, and there, there was an endless opportunities in front of me. However, you know, and, and while I was able to do some of those things, you know, fly in combat, be a commander, lead in the military, you know, it, it flash forward, you know, many years later, 30 something years later, and I'm a commander sitting at a table and I am the only woman, right? 25 leaders at an Air Force wing. And I am the sole right female voice. And so as much as I would like to say that we are moving forward and there are definitely more opportunities, I think we still have a long way to go until there's actual, you know, more equal representation, I think, especially in male-dominated career fields. Thank you. Shannon, what about you? Yeah, thank you very much. And again, it is an honor to be here with each of these panelists and and Ron and Tara with both of you again as well. So just to build on what uh, Janelle has said, I, there's still a long way to go. I think relative to a ceiling, it sounds like have, have people made it into each of these different career fields. And in, in many cases, there is an example or one or two examples of people who have made it into either traditionally or exclusively male-dominated fields. But I think what you can look at over the past couple of years even, and the mass exodus of not just people from jobs, but women from their jobs and the lack of ability of women to be able to come back to work is a great example of how we have such a very, very long way to go. And that is really across all professions, but certainly in those that tend to be more male dominated. So yes, we have a very, very long way to go despite the successes that a few people have been able to, to be able to show. Amy, what are your thoughts? You know, I agree with the last two panelists. I, I think that we have that, that old poster that says, you know, you've come a long way, baby, or we've come a long way, baby. We have. And, you know, as, as much as, as I would like there to be more women in some of these jobs, more women CEOs, more women in Congress, frankly, I always have to remind myself, hey, we, we have come a long way. I think that your, your initial question of, hey, have we, is the glass ceiling gone? Um, I, I think it's, it, there's a hole in it where some have been able to get in, but it's still not completely open and it's not completely open as, as Shannon said so eloquently, I think a lot of it is because we still have to work on the culture of getting women to the highest positions in various places, whether it's in the military or politics or in business. And that is going to require us changing sort of how we, how we do business a little bit. Well, I can't wait. We're going to be digging in on how, how do we do that? What are some of your opinions on that? But Kim, I definitely want to hear from you on this one on the glass ceiling as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think we've, we all have similar experiences in many ways. I think about the day that I walked into my very first fighter squadron, you know, day one, and I was one of 43 female fighter pilots in the entire Air Force. And that was in 2001. 
So fast forward to 2021, and we now have 103 female fighter pilots. So we went from 1% to 3% in 20 years. It's progress. It's just not great progress. I look at when I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy, we had 12% women and fast forward 20 years and now we're looking at over 30%. So I think there are areas that we're making progress, but we still have a ways to go. I think a lot of times what we see, and I think we see this in business as well, you know, women will serve for a certain length of time and then we're not seeing women at the very highest level. And we, we see that with women in the CEO world as well. We're just, we're seeing kind of this stalling point. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And sometimes it is personal choice uh, versus a culture that's prohibiting it. So I think, you know, there's a lot of different areas to look into. And, you know, from an Air Force perspective, we've certainly looked at ways to improve the culture and improve the climate and look beyond kind of the traditional ideas and really trying to get creative and innovative about how to keep women in these career fields longer term. So the short answer is we're making progress. I think we've cracked it. We've put some holes in it. Is it gone? I think we have a ways to go. And I think we have a lot to learn from the way the military is doing it. And you're, when you start talking about these numbers of, you know, as one of 43 women, it makes me think of the tech industry. And Ron, you know, in engineering, how many, how many, what's the offset of, of gender in, in the engineering world? And so I think it's, it's great. This is not a military discussion, but I think we have a lot to translate into a lot of civilian sectors. So let me ask, have the four of you read Sheryl Sandberg's book? Yes, yes, and we all have. We all have. All right. So if we go back seven, eight years to 2013 with COO uh, of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, she kind of lit a fire, right? She is what really kind of rocked. And I remember I was living in San Francisco at the time and she rocked the business world. And with her book, Lean In, she... Oh, I'm going to ask you, before I give my opinions, I'm going to ask you, where did she, where was she kind of doing some things right? Or maybe even kind of saying some things that were off. And if you just remember the gist of it, I know it's a, it's a long, uh, long time ago, but is there anything that struck you as I like what she said versus I didn't like what she was kind of pushing in that realm? And I'll just open it up. Whoever wants to jump in just in case you're like, Tara, I can't remember that book from back then. I'm happy to start. Yeah, I think one of the things that I would that I was excited about after Lean In, and this continues today, is that along with another of several other different networks, there are Lean In circles and like other networks that help to support women and bring women together as one of the many, many things that are required for women to have the opportunities that, that they need to be able to have. I think that's a positive thing. And at the same time, the challenge, and this is going to be painting this very broadly, of course, because it's a it's a full book and and it has a number of ideas that are expressed is that the idea of leaning in in one way I think both came across to a lot of us as a bit tone deaf and 
the need to understand not only the different needs and requirements of an individual that might be working, but also different groups of individuals and that there may be different ways to lean in. And I think all of those are pretty important, not pretty important, but actually critically important. And as I think back to when I was first promoted, and I, I like to tell the story in my keynotes and I tell the story in the grip factor, when I was promoted to first lieutenant, so sort of like your advanced driver's permit, right? And my first battalion commander, who was one of the best leaders that I ever had a chance to work for, said, the only good use of any power you will ever have is the responsibility to take care of your people. And I learned from him that leadership was a sacred trust and through the years understood that this was individual to every person working for me. And the problem with the concept of lean in, in one sense, in one way, in the way that has always worked for men is not necessarily going to be the way that works for the rest of the population. And that doesn't allow everybody to bring their best to the table, which is what all of us need right now. Anybody else want to weigh in, Janelle? Sure. I, I think what Shannon said was great. I, I do think that, that the definition of what lean in meant to different people. I, I think the idea most people took from it was, okay, well, I got to hustle harder, right? Like if I want a seat at the table, then I can't just, you know, be a woman. I've got to like hustle like a man. And so I think the important part of it was, the conversations that started at least, right? And then, and like Shannon said, those lean in circles, I know that I participated in some and as a commander, I led some. And I think having the conversations was critical. However, I think it's an incomplete strategy, which really tells the competitive stress culture that we live in, where we almost measure ourselves. And I think this book kind of, you know, continued that same, I think it's a myth, right? That like we have to one up each other on how much stress we have in our lives, how many things we do, what's on our to-do list and how we overschedule our kids even to the point where that can get you success, no doubt. And many people succeed on that path, but it also leads you to burnout, exhaustion, fatigue, and ultimately death, right? From a, from a human performance and psychology standpoint. So it, I think it's incomplete, right? And so a lot of the work that I do is pairing this idea of self-care, building the right mindset, training, and commanding your mind as you try to stay in a leaned in way, right? To be successful and show up your full self to be your best, whether it's as a parent, whether it's as a leader, whether it's as a technical expert, pilot, whatever. I'll add, you know, I, it's one approach, right? It's, it's one person's view. And when I graduated from the Air Force Academy, I got some advice and I, I didn't quite understand it at, you know, age 21, but the advice was, Choose the path that is right for you, and only you can choose that path, right? So this is, I think, there are good things about the book and the ideas in Lean In, but it doesn't work for everybody, and you have to find what's right for you. I think books will give you advice, people will give you advice, and in the end, you have to do what works for you because everybody's family situation is different, we have different stressors, and so... Yes, there are good ideas, but in the end, you have to find in your heart what works for you, for your family. And leaning in, in, in some of those ways may not be right for that time in your life or for your priorities. And so I think that's one of the things I would say is that we tend to put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do things a certain way. And sometimes we just need to give our little, ourselves a little bit of grace and understand that, that there are things that are going to work for us that aren't going to work for everybody else. Kim, would you say, would you go as far to say that kind of that advice that you just gave of it doesn't work for everybody, you got to do what's important to you and your family 
is for anyone. It's not just for women. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're introverted, even, right? It's, yeah, find your own path regardless of who you are. Yeah, I mean, I I look, my husband and I have both maintained careers. We have young children and we've gotten a lot of advice. He's gotten advice about how to, you know, how to do that, how to have this work-life balance or how to, you know, put one career over the other. And in the end, we would just come home at night and have these conversations of what's actually going to work for us. So I think that's that's advice across the board. Find what works for you. And Amy, did you want to weigh in on that one? Well, I would just say that, you know, lean in. It, I loved it as, a, as an inspirational piece and sort of kind of... of showing women, hey, you can, you can go do this and don't be afraid to, to, to jump into it. And one of the things I loved about the military military life was that performance really mattered. And, and it wasn't so much the gender. But I think the problem, and this is what I was trying to allude to earlier with culture, is it's not so much a culture of, you know, there, there's, there's people trying to hold women back or anything like that. I mean, in a sense of Women still bear, like it or not, the majority of, of the responsibilities on the domestic front. I've got three small kids. I got to tell you, in 24 years in the military, when was the most stressed was not in combat flying. It was not on the ground. In Afghanistan. <laughs> it was not in survival school. It was not in, in Marine Corps training in Quantico. It was trying to find daycare for my second child. <laughs> that was when I was the most stressed. And when you see women in the military, you know, who are 10 years in, who see that and they're trying to deal with this and they're trying to lean in and they're trying to perform because the military uh, rewards performance, but yet they're trying to juggle all of these other things and it just becomes too hard. And, and they also see, you know, that their male counterparts not having to maybe juggle those things as much. I'm sure there, there are some men that are, but it's just, it's just different. And I think that's maybe where lean in doesn't always account for everybody, as, as was Kim had said as well. Mm. I did, you know, I feel like I should maybe apologize for laughing that finding daycare was more stressful than combat. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be funny, but I, I had to get chuckle at that. But but it really kind of brings it home, right? Of uh, these are the things that I that I don't think a lot of people would realize. And so I like Amy. It's almost like you led me into the next question. What is it? You know, most of, let's be honest. Most of our audience is probably civilian. That's just my guess. And we have four, you know, female leaders from the military here. And so I, I always want to say, okay, the, there's lessons for us here as civilians. And so I would ask you gals, what does the military do well? And I think Amy was kind of leading us here. What do they do that maybe we can bring into the civilian world that's working well? Well, I'll start very briefly, as I alluded to. I, I loved my military days because for my, for my experience, it's not true with everybody, but in my experience, performance really mattered. At the end of the day, can you drop the bomb? Can you shoot the gun? Can you drive the tank? Can you land the aircraft on the back of the aircraft carrier at night? And all of the antics aside, if you could do that and you could do it well, you're in and, and you're, you're part of the team and you're a valued part of the team. And I, I loved that. I also think the military does leadership development 
well. They work it into their ladder of performance. Everybody gets sort of the same shot at that type of leadership development. It's not that they're pulling one or two men aside and, you know, and, and making them the future CEOs or anything like that. The military kind of does it, I think, very well. And the other thing that I, I loved about the military, at least for me, is, and I was the benefit of it, uh, was that they got rid of the structural barriers to equality, at least for what I wanted to do as a pilot early on in my career. As was mentioned, a lot of these by law, we, we couldn't do these jobs. And so once those doors opened up, that was huge. And more recently, they have gotten rid of the structural barriers to all positions. In other words, if you are qualified, you're in. And I think that's, that's really important. Amy, can I follow up with, do you feel like there was, so after you prove yourself, you've done all those things that you mentioned, all right, performance counts. Do you feel like there was resistance up till that point? As a woman, did you have, did you feel like you had more resistance until you proved yourself? I think once the, the, the jobs opened up, there were a lot of skeptics, you know, is the jet going to turn pink? You know, is she really going to be able to do this thing? And you do have to prove yourself. But you know what? The men have to prove themselves, too. And so what I found was the men that I went through training with who were my peers was they were very accepting because, you know what? We, we all went through training together. They did the exact same thing we did. It was the men that were superior to us, you know, the ones that were the higher ranking that had never worked with women, that needed some extra, you know, that you have to prove yourself a little bit more. But but again, in the fighter community, at least in, in the Marine Corps, and I'm sure it's true in other communities, everybody everybody has to prove themselves. And what I loved about it was once you do, you know, you're in. Shanna, did you want to jump in? I saw you were maybe thinking, yeah. No, I think Amy articulated that all of this much better uh, than, than I could have in terms of the specifics that the military does well. I will say that I think that the experiences about whether or not one, one proves oneself and then is in probably vary significantly by the specific community and unit. That was not necessarily my experience at all. But, but in theory, it, it, it does exist. In theory, it is based on performance. And in theory, it is it, with a good leader and a good uh, leadership in place, that should be the case. And I do think that structurally it's set up for success success when the right people are there. And when the wrong people are there, the, the, the flip side is unfortunately even more exacerbated in the sense that there is a very insular community where it's harder to, to mitigate the challenges of that. So, so there's pros and cons to both of those things. But I think Amy articulated the pros better than I could, could hope to elaborate on. And Kim or Janelle, do you have anything to add or differences in your experiences? I'll just add that, you know, when I talked about walking into my fighter squadron on day one and the most pressure came from me. Like I was the one that put all that pressure on myself because like Amy mentioned, everybody has to prove themselves when they walk in on day one, no matter what career you're in, you know, everybody's kind of wondering, you know, how are you going to perform? How are you going to do? And I put a lot of pressure on myself. I think because I knew that there were so few women I had this idea that if I made a mistake or I failed in any way that I would, these are my words, ruin it for all the women that followed me. And that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure that I put on myself. And I think, you know, when it came down to it, 
once I got out there and I could perform in the airplane and everybody realized really the only difference was I maybe sounded a little different on the radio. And then I suppose I had the, we'll call it benefit of deploying and going to combat very early in my career. And so I was able to prove myself in combat. I mean, after that, I was, I was just a fighter pilot. I was just one of the fighter pilots in the squadron. Now, the media like to call me the female fighter pilot all the time, but to the guys in my squadron, just a fighter pilot. You know, I was part of the team. I had proved myself in combat. And I, I think that's what really mattered is the credibility piece. You know, are you credible? Do you work hard? Do you have a good attitude? You know, can you fit in with the team in terms of performance? And so I think that is something that the military does well is the focus on credibility, that credibility really counts. And so I think that to me was a very positive experience. And, you know, combat does a lot to kind of proving that you can handle the stress, you can handle the pressure, you can handle those critical moments when you're under fire, that you have the ability to do that. And so it's credibility matters. Your work ethic matters. Your attitude matters. Any final just, notes on that, Janelle? Yeah. Yeah, I'll just add a couple comments. I might have had uh, kind of a split experience, you know, and, and it is unit dependent, as Shannon said. You know, there were some units that I would walk into and, and I would definitely sense, you know, like performance definitely is a metric and, and a way to kind of keep the, the playing field even, right? Because everyone's expected to meet the same standards of the job. However, I can say this just because my husband was also in the Air Force. And so we would move together at every new assignment. And what I felt, and this is just my experience, is that before I was able to prove myself, there was an unconscious bias, I felt, that my husband kind of got to start at a higher level than I did, right? Like I, it was almost like there was a just face value, new leader, new guy on the job. Let's see what he has to, to offer. Whereas for me, I felt like women were constantly bucketed in that you either had to be really amazing or really bad. Like we couldn't be average, right? Like there was no opportunity for us to just show up and like be ourselves and try to be our best. It was like you got bucketed and then we put pressure as Kim was saying on ourselves that we had to for sure be in like the I'm amazing and kick ass at what I do side. And I think that my, my husband never felt that right? Like he could just kind of show up, perform. And obviously, I, you know, I'm going to talk well of him, right? He was able to do that. And he's very good at what he does. He's a maintenance officer, not a pilot. And I obviously was, you know, I worked hard and was able to prove that I did deserve to be there and by my performance, but I did feel like that initial starting point, there was a lot of unconscious bias around it. And it did depend on different leadership, different wings, different cultures that I would walk into for sure. Oh, such do great you, answers. You, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, do you feel like, do you have a sense that that's gotten better? Do you think women that are following in your footsteps now, 20 years later, do you think that maybe there's not as much pressure for them? Like as much pressure of like, you know, being the best and, and kind yeah, of, you're, you're a trailblazer and you gotta be the best. Yeah. I think it's still there for a lot of okay. women. I mean, as far as when I was a commander, I would see it as one of the driving forces in our female operators, as far as whether they were going to stay in or get out. It was this, um, the pressure to like, I can't be 
amazing at everything I do. I can't be the best mom and be on Pinterest all the time. And I can't, you know, for those that were trying to fly and be moms and manage all of this, be a great military spouse for, you know, all the expectations that come with it. And so that is why like the bulk of the work I do right now is to help people manage that messaging and that stress and to really find that their authentic selves and be super comfortable with showing up in that way. Cause that really is where we're going to kick ass and be our best. And so when we release, release some of those pressures, you know, and what I would call rules-based thinking, right? We, the things we think other people want us to do or expect of us, it can unlock so much more of our potential and performance as human beings. It makes me wonder if this is a conversation as you're having, especially with the work that you do, Janelle, the conversations we're having with women about find your authentic self and don't push yourself to burn out. Do we also need to include men in these conversations, especially those partners that are teaming up with you? Because I'm, 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 you know, you all have had successful careers, some of you with your significant other at your side, and you're both doing the exact same thing and yet also raising children. And, you know, you don't, how do you balance that? And do we need to bring men and women together on this conversation or just keep empowering women on the side? I'm curious what your thoughts are there, Amy? Well, I, I think this goes right to the sort of, of changing culture in our society a little bit. You know, in, in the military, there are things that we can do, like having better access to daycare that help everybody, right? And and yes, we focus on it as women, but but it's a family issue. In broader society, you know, I'm not I'm not certainly don't want to be political here, but now these things are political issues. Paid family leave, you know. Pre-K, these types of things matter and they matter not just to women. Women bring it up and we're bringing it up even more and more as we get into the halls of Congress and as we rise in the ranks. But they matter because it's quality of life for everybody, including men. So I, I think that is the key. You know, when we talk about the military and we talk about the fact that, you know, in the United States Marine Corps, there's 7% of the officer corps are women, but 1% general officers. In the U.S. Air Force, it's 18% of, of, of the officer corps are women, but only 7% re- rise to the highest ranks. Why is that? Well, women tend to leave right around that, that age of 30, and they tend to leave because you can't do it all. And those types of things that we don't always think about as being, you know, military stuff, it's more work-life stuff, like daycare and this or something, that, that matters. And it matters to the broader society, too, to get women to the top. I think that's what you're going to have to focus on, that middle area. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I see Shannon shaking her head. Do you want to add to that or your thoughts? Amy put it perfectly. And that was not my stage of life then. I I was one who left around 30 (laughs) and partly for that reason, partly for that perceived reason in the future. And, but, but I think I, you see that now and again and again and again in all of the different sectors of, of industry that, and all of the different places that I uh, work with and talk to the same issue comes up again and again and again. And Amy's absolutely right. Whether it's right or not, women bear the brunt of the domestic work and certainly the arrangements for that. And they've been utterly and completely inadequate in this country across the board. And if we want everybody to bring their best contributions to the table, and again, our country desperately needs that clearly, then we need to be able to to sort these things out and and fix the systems that are holding down uh, those opportunities. Do you think this? Oh, yeah, please. No, jump in, Janelle. 
Yeah. I just want to make one follow-on comment yeah. um, based on what Amy and Shannon just said. You know, a lot of people say women choose to get out, right? Women choose to, you know, separate, retire, all those things. And there was a point where I was one of 11 graduated squadron commanders in air mobility commands that had been a pilot and was, you know, in the senior ranks of our career field. And when I looked around, I was like, where are all the other women? How am I 20 years into my military career? Why am I only one of 11 at this stage? And everyone's like, well, women just choose to get out. And I do not believe it is is just my personal belief. It is not when you make me choose between my family, right. And like my, my inner circle, right. That's most important to me and a job, right. Cause I'm, you get forced into a, a corner. I feel like a lot of women get backed into these corners where then it's not a choice when I choose my family, right? Like my family comes with me no matter what I do. And so I really don't like that. We make this into, well, women are just choosing. Well, the situations are really putting us in a, in a corner where our family's going to win. Right. Like if you set like my my end point in my military career was I could not take being separated from my spouse anymore. Right? I had two small children and I was never living with my spouse. It was becoming increasingly more difficult and they weren't working with us to make, you know, just different options available. And so therefore I retired first. Right. My husband ended up staying in a few more years. So, you know, I, I, and Kim, I would love to hear your um your impression of this, but I think a lot of young women today that I mentor, they say, oh, well, I want to have kids, so I'm not going to be a pilot. I'm going to choose a different career. And I'm like, no, like we worked so hard to like fly and be mom <laughs> so that you, it shouldn't be like a, a bad thing or it shouldn't be a barrier for you. And it still is today because I think they have this messaging that women ultimately choose their families, not their careers. And so if my family is important, then I'm not even going to put myself in that path. So I agree. We need to make the culture and these different environment, the environment different so that it's not a choice between your family and your job. Like a man can definitely keep both, I think, for a longer period of time. Just my two cents. Yeah, I'll, I'll share a quick story that I shared on the podcast as well. So I'll shorten it just so if people want to go back and hear the longer version. And this is something that I speak about too when I speak to organizations. When I took command for the first time, so think 150 people for command, I put a lot of pressure on myself of what I thought a commander should be. And family wasn't really like part of that thought when I went into it. I, you know, I'm a combat proven fighter pilot. I'm going to go in there. I have all these leadership ideas. And at at the very first thing that we do when we take command is this change of command ceremony. And during the ceremony, my, my son and my husband, my son is three at the time, are sitting in the front row, and he's bored out of his mind on this ceremony that's very formal and, you know, lots of talking and speeches. And so my son decides that he's going to get up from the front row and walks himself right up on stage and sits in my lap. And, and of course, you know, I look down and I smile at him, but in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, what are my, what is my team going to think of me? You know, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be in charge of this squadron and I can't even control my three-year-old son. And it was this fear of what they would think. And then something clicked for me when one of my young airmen after this said, you know what, ma'am, it makes you human. And I, And in that moment up on stage, I connected with my team in a way just by showing them that I was human. I mean, I'm 
I'm a leader, I'm a commander, but I'm also a mom, I'm a wife, you know, and yes, I'm a fighter pilot, but I can be all of these things. And I think part of it is just changing that view that you, you know, can I do it all at the same time very well? No, but I can still be all of those things. I have to work at them, but it's okay to let your team, the people that you lead, see you for who you are. And sometimes that's the pressure that we put on ourselves to not let people see all of that. I think it makes us human. I think it connects us with people. And I think in some of the goodness of COVID, if there is some, we got a little insight of that with people at home to see a little bit more of them. And it, it makes us human. It, we all face challenges. We all face things that are going to be hard for us. And sometimes when we open ourselves up to that, it helps us create trust and connection. Why was I so afraid of that though? Like, why was I so fearful of letting people see me for a different side? Kim, if I, if I could jump in, you were fearful of it because the studies are very, very clear that women are judged for that actually, right? And they are yeah. judged for showing that side and that those studies exist and there are many of them. And so you had a reason to, to feel that, right? And I think that's the hard thing is that for women, and it's not just the military, it is, it's technology, it's finance, it's banking, it's politics, it's all of these fields. The judgment is more severe on women and it's well-documented. So you had a reason to feel that although I am sure that you showed them all that there was nothing to fear. But, but I think for a lot of women, that's a problem, right? That's a real, it's a real, ch- and men, because men need women to be at the table with them, right? To, to, for the best to come out of whatever it is that we want to see for an outcome. Uh, we've got to have everyone contributing. So you, you had good reason. <laughs> the, good, the good news is that it was such a positive reaction. It was yeah. a positive reaction of like, you're human, you you know, you don't have all the answers, you know, that's, there's not this, like, in my view, you know, the perfect leader combat fighter pilot that I thought I was supposed to be like, it turns out I'm, I'm just human and, <laughs> and that's okay. And I think one of the really positive things that I saw out of this, when I talked about it, when I posted about it, when I speak about it is I've had so many men come up with similar situations and people posted pictures of like little kids laying on stages. And, and I think it's just one of those things like, I think we put sometimes more pressure on ourselves and clearly there is a pressure on women for, based on the studies as well. But I think it's something that is a problem for both men and women. It's just this view of how we think we should be. And it's okay to let people, my perspective is it's okay to let people see a little bit of the inside of us as well. That's the second time I've heard that story and I still love it. I, I'm going to call it the accidental story of vulnerability and yes, so, yeah. you know, it, it was just, you showed yourself as being vulnerable and human. And, you know, a lot of people will say that we bond through that rather than strength. So projecting that strong front, a lot of times people don't relate to that. And so again, you kind of accidentally stumbled on this idea that if I let my guard down, I can connect with people even more. And I think that's a great lesson for all, you know, again, it's, it's male and female for all leaders. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.